Welcome to Getting Heated, the place to debate and discuss all things surf-related. Goofy Footers want to know, are there too many rights on the championship tour schedule? And for a pro surfer, what matters most, an Olympic gold medal or a world title? Plus, Stephanie Gilmore has seven world titles, but the debate is whether or not she'll get an eighth. Also, could WSL contests be pay-per-view only in the future? Finally, we're going deep on legendary surfer Taj Burrow. What really prevented him from winning a world title? It's going to be a good one. Buckle up. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Getting Heated, the place for discussion, debate, and disputes on all things surf-related. I'm Dave Prodan, temporarily loaned out from the Lineup podcast, as well as my day job. Here moderating the true stars of the show, Kulangata's Mick Fanning, a three-time world champion and Palm Beach High School alumni, and Hawaii's Ross Williams, a longtime CT standout and super coach to the stars. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. No, Dave. Thanks for having us, Dave. Good to see you, Ross. So we're already a couple weeks in, and we are already a smash hit, and people are sending in comments on every platform, and we've been reading them. So if there's something you want to talk to us about, hit the subscribe button and drop it in the comments. We might pick it for the topic in the next show, just like we're doing today for YouTube subscriber Beto F. So for our opening exchange, Heat One, we're going to tackle Beto F's question. Does the championship tour have too many right-handers on the schedule? And if so, does that actually put the goofy footers at a disadvantage? You're both unbiased natural footers, I'm sure. Ross, are there too many rights? Never enough rights. That being said, you know, I am gonna say yes, just because I picture macaronis being on the schedule, Mick. I picture like a lakey peak left. It's just really missing. There's nothing like it. Um, so for performance, I would really love to see that. Um, it is missing, not so much because of an advantage or a disadvantage um, in terms of the athletes, but just because of the wave. And conversely, I would say, heavy waves you know we have chopu and we have pipe pretty gnarly slabby committed shallow reef waves i would love to see that on a right hander as well um, sometimes we're lucky enough to suit up um, at the box in west oz but that's about it uh, and that's a really challenging type of surfing that right now we're only going left Ah, oh, the poor old goofy footer, hey? Always whinging about going right um look i sort of agree with you in the in the fact that you know, there's no rippable lefts on tour. Um, but in saying that, the lefts that were predominantly lefts, they're trying to turn into rights anyway. So they're sort of shooting themselves in the foot. You know, Margaret River used to be a left. Pipeline was predominantly a left and now everyone's going back to all like, come on. <laughs> we, we gotta, uh, we're gonna make sure that if we're gonna pick your left, just go left. But uh, no, in saying that, I, I want to see more rippable lefts on tour. I want to see the natural footers on their backhand ripping uh, out of the top. I want to see what sort of arsenal they have on their lefts. But also too, I want to see guys like Gabe Medina, Hidalgo Ferreira just go absolutely nuts at a wave like backhand. It's out of this world what they can do on their forehand. So look, I would love to see a rippable left, but if it's just add another tube left, I'd stick to the schedule that we have. I agree with that. We don't, we don't need another hollow left. I think we're, we're covered there. So I think it's healthy for the tour to make sure there's a, a, a variety. Yeah, exactly. Um, look, even going left at trestles, the goofy footers are going right. <laughs> so come on. 
Last week, reports came out of Tokyo that the Olympic Games, which were originally rescheduled for this year, would not be happening due to ongoing challenges with COVID-19. Now, officials quickly came out to deny those reports, but where there's smoke, there's fire, and the status of surfing's Olympic debut remains in question. So for Heat 2, we're asking, in a world where surfing becomes an established Olympic sport, what will mean more to the world's best surfers? The Olympic gold medal or the WSL title? Nick, your thoughts. Look, uh, in the general public of the world, the gold medal means more. Uh, I think people can relate to a gold medal a lot more than a surfing world title. If you say that I'm a gold medalist, then people are like, oh wow, they don't even care what sport you are, you're just a gold medalist. Uh, on top of that, you're going to have incentives from all types of different companies wanting to be associated with you. Supposedly, Sean White, when he won his gold medal, uh, made 15 million bucks just in, in promotional money. So, like, it's crazy, especially for someone, like, say if one of the top guys doesn't win, uh, and someone like a Jeremy Flores wins for France, like, imagine, he could just retire that day, just go, look, I'm done. I'm going to go out <laughs> and just live off this gold medal. Uh, another sort of fact is, that they say the worth of a gold medal, as soon as you win it, is about a million bucks. So I can argue that that very first gold medal is going to be incredibly huge for surfing and incredibly huge for whoever wins that thing. Yeah, I think, you know, the Olympics is going to be a huge shot in the arm, no pun intended, but uh, for, for surfing, uh, it's going to be a major benefit um, that's going to help, you know, put surfing on the map as far as mainstream, but, but I'm old school at heart, Mick. And, you know, I think push comes to shove. Um, you know, if you had to choose between the two, I think almost any surfer is going to choose a world title. Um, Olympics, by the way, is a trial sport. You know, it's not around permanently yet. Uh, they want to take a look at it. Um, so I think this is going to be beneficial, but um, we're going to have to wait to see how this thing plays out over the next, say, 12 years to see if it's really cemented in there as an Olympic sport. But for now, um, definitely, I think a world title has got to be uh, more important. Look, I, I think in the community, yeah, world title is a bigger picture. But general public, I'll always say the gold medal is bigger. Uh, you know, you have a look at someone like Kelly Slater, how hard he tried to get into the Olympics. Uh, for that possibility of winning a gold medal. He knows how big it is. Imagine 11-time world champion and Olympic gold medalist. Like, that, that's just huge. Yeah, for sure. Like, so let me pose a question to you, Mick. If, if you, would you give away all three of your world titles for three gold medals? Probably I'll give away one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if Japan does come off, one surfer who will unsurprisingly be there is seven-time world champion Stephanie Gilmore representing Australia. A woman who needs no introduction, but we're going to give her one anyway. Over a decade amongst the world's best surfers, 30 elite CT wins, seven world titles. And here's the Heat 3 question. Does Steph Gilmore have at least one more world title in her? Ross, start us off. Yeah, I'm going to jump in hot water here a little bit because obviously you know, Stephanie Gilmore is an absolute legend. And um, as you mentioned, Dave, she doesn't need an introduction, certainly not for me. And she's always been one of my favorite surfers. Um, definitely her style is un unmatchable. But 
she's turning 33, actually, in a couple days, Mick. Um, so she's getting up there in age compared to all these youngsters on tour, you know. And a good example I, I choose from the two examples, actually, from the last full time we've had competition in 2019 was from Caroline Marks, who's the hot grom on tour, and uh, Lakey Peterson. And they both kind of uh, handed some serious losses to Stephanie Gilmore. And it kind of points out what I think are some weaknesses that are starting to slowly but surely show in Steph surfing, which is power. Um, someone like Caroline Marks, uh, you know, she had a quarterfinal against Stephanie in Diva, her home break, and she totally exposed her. You know, Caroline was so strong. She's throwing twice as much water. Uh, she just looked like a complete different surfer. Um, and then Margaret River, Lakey Peterson dropped 18.83 points on, uh, on Stephanie. And again, there was a huge discrepancy you could see in power. And that's credit to Lakey too. You know, she went back to the drawing board over the last few years and kind of, you know, managed to get better. Whereas Stephanie, I feel like she has been leveling out just a little bit. Stylistically, she's unbelievable. But these, you know, these younger surfers with, with progression and power are right now, on, on, uh, you know, out surfing her. So, uh, I think maybe, you know, there's there's no more world titles in our future. Yeah, look, some good points there, Ross, but I'm going to have to disagree with you. Um, I think Stephanie does definitely have another world title in her. The reason I say that is 2018. When Steph put it all together, she, she looked like a whole different surfer. She knew she had weaknesses in beach breaks, left-handers, um, you know, and and just even commitment. You know, I guess Stephanie's first world titles seemed like they came so easily. So she was just in cruise mode for a lot of those first world titles. And, and now she's got so much more, I guess, competition that will push her to the edge. But I still believe if she puts it all together where she focuses solely on this for a whole year and doesn't become a lady of leisure, she can actually go out there and still surf better than all these girls on the planet. I'm putting it to Steph, show Ross up, and you call me if you need any help. <laughs> Last Sunday, Louisiana's Dustin Poirier knocked out Dublin's Conor McGregor in the second round of their UFC 257 fight, streamed live from Abu Dhabi for those willing to pony up $70. UFC's pay-per-view model has been the backbone of their consumer approach for years, and that brings us to the Heat 4 question. In surfing's near future, should the championship tour be accessed via pay-per-view? Mick, you're up. Dave, I believe so, but I think there's a way to do it. I think all the way up until the the quarters, I think, is free to wear. I think you you show everyone, so everyone gets a platform on free to air TV or on the website. But then I think from the quarters on, we can pay per view it. And I'm not talking like crazy money. Like we go and spend sixty dollars on one event, you know, a, a UFC event. What's sixty dollars for a whole year where you get extra content and learn about? The athletes that are on tour you know they might give you a little bit more insight if they know oh look this is for pay-per-view maybe i might get a cut of that through the surfers uh, agreements that we have um so look i i think it's needed we've also seen stab throw out stab high i don't know the exact numbers on that but i think they did fairly well and i think it's time as surfers we expect everything for free we expect movies for free where back in the day you had to go out and buy your vcr or your dvd you know i would easily spend 30 40 bucks just for a, a taylor steel dvd so 
just watch the best surfers on tour. I'm happy to put my hand in my pocket and and I reckon everyone else should. Ooh, Mick. There's a lot of angry people out there right now. Making you pay for surfing? Come on. Um, now, this, this is a tricky one. I, I do think that there is a, a road for this, for you know, pay-per-view uh, events. But I would say this is where you'd maybe get creative you know, and have fun with it and do sort of a one-off sort of event, like UFC is. Uh, maybe like a Dane Reynolds versus Bobby Martinez or someone that you're missing that's not on tour where you could grab them and have like a, a pay-per-view event. But for the tour, you know, again, I like to link everything to the history and appreciate where we've come from. It's always been free. And again, this is maybe above our pay grade. Maybe Elo and Pat O'Connell can answer this question better than us. But, uh, you know, if you're going to drive viewership up, um, I'm not sure making people pay is the way to do it. Um, you want to get as many eyeballs as you can on surfing. And if you make people uh, pay for it, in my opinion, it seems like that'll, that'll you know, lessen the crowd. Um, not to mention, you, you look at all the ball and bat sports. You know, they're all on television, and they're just promoting being on air, getting eyeballs on it, and then that makes the sponsors happy. So I think that's the way to the future. But you know, it would be fun to have some kind of play events um, where you you know be creative and, and do some pay per view events that way. You can't say that last year's or in 2019 when Pipeline come down, you would not pay to watch that event. You know, it was just incredible, the build-up, that everything that went down to it. And it come down to that final heat. It was just, it was out of this world where everyone was so enticed. Didn't matter where you were from, who you were going for, you were just so engaged in that. Um, I, I feel like we, we need to do that. You know, we, we've lost magazines, we've lost DVDs, we've lost movies. Like, everyone's getting so much for free but then we'll go and spend money on a forecast you know we've got four or five different forecasts that are all owned by the same people and you're paying 60 bucks for all of them so let's get rid of one of those and put it into surfing and give some money back to the surfers that are actually putting on these great performances i understand the business model but i just disagree with it i i think the way to go is like uh, how social media is you know social media is free i just don't think squeezing money out of the viewers is is the way to go forward i think you got to promote you know getting these non-endemic sponsorships involved and as many eyeballs as possible we're still going to get eyeballs just from the quarters on you got to pay <laughs> your treat when we return mick and roth go deep into the debate surrounding one of surfing's greatest ever talents and the mystery surrounding their inability to secure a world title Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to Getting Heated. I'm Dave Prodan, joined by the now emerging stars of the surfing hot takes world, Ross Williams and Starlight Ambassador Mick Fanning. Mick, you've been in the pool. Yeah, mate. Uh, look, thanks for bringing that up, Dave. Uh, Starlight Foundation, the incredible foundation. Uh, their job is to go and put smiles on sick kids' faces in hospitals. And starting from January 26th to February 26th, they're doing the Starlight Super Swim, where we're going to go out and do laps in the pool, the ocean or lakes to raise money for these kids in hospitals and um, make sure that their time in hospital is a lot more fun than what it usually is. That's really, really Darn. cool. I hope everyone checks that out. So it's time for Going Deep. Stab in the Dark, Stab Magazine's Blind Board Test Series has just released this year's installment featuring none other than Western Australia's Todd Burrow. One of the most celebrated performance surfers in history, Taj was a preternaturally gifted natural footer from Yelling Up, who ushered in the late 90s wave of progressive surfing. A perennial title contender and a two-time world runner-up, Taj never won a world title, and it remains one of surfing's great mysteries. You both have insider experience with Taj, so the going deep question is, what was the single biggest issue, either inside or outside the water, preventing Taj from winning a world title? Mick, start us off. Yeah, Dave, look, I love the stab in the dark thing. It's such a great concept and uh, well done for doing it. Uh, and who better to have than Taj Burrows? I think he's been everyone's favorite surfer at some point in their, in their life. And um, But getting back to the question, what kept Taj from winning a world title? Look, I think it was desire and just determination. Uh, Taj was always, he'll tell you this himself, he was a guy that wanted to do everything. He wanted to film the best part of the year. Uh, he wanted to go and win contests, but he also wanted to have a lot of fun while he's doing it. So I think when it came to getting gritty and came to, um, you know, really getting in the trenches and, and fighting really hard, Taj would sort of step around that and um yeah sort of the mental side of it was probably taj's biggest weakness yeah it's funny how you know it's it's it seems like um it's a rarity to have the full package to be a, a world champion and mick you you exemplify that you know you, you have to be a grinder and then there's guys like andy irons are more an animalistic uh you have kelly who's just angling constantly looking at every little advantage he can take as well as relying on his talent whereas i feel like taj was more of an artist you know he was someone who was very loyal to his talent but maybe uh, his pocket was here you know other people would would really tick all the boxes i feel like taj as you mentioned a little bit heady you know i think his uh, his best was uh, performance uh, with no pressure. I think that's when he felt like he could, you know, really shine. Um, and then he would start to let the world kind of cave in on, on him a bit if it, if there was more pressure on the heat. Taj was extra competitive, and it's not only just in um, surfing. It was like in car games. It was in ping pong. Anything to do with like getting an edge over someone, he was always for it. Um, so look, I don't think the actual competitiveness was something. I think it was the times when things got uncomfortable 
upstairs. I think, you know, everyone says that you've got to go and work on your surfing, you've got to go work on your fitness, but the brain is a muscle too. You've got to work on that. And for me personally, when I compete against Taj, I felt I was never a better surfer than Taj. I'd never claimed that in my whole life, but I felt mentally I had it over him. And that's where, you know, the wins that I did get, I felt like I beat him before we even paddled out. And um, especially in those high pressure situations, I felt like I was a lot more comfortable and I was okay to being uncomfortable where Taj probably wasn't. I feel like Taj is one of those, you know, he's a, a wily competitor. You mentioned games, you know, um, where I feel like that's sort of his, his comfortable zone with, with competing and being competitive is that, that, you know, sort of wry smile on his face, like a cat that just ate a bird. Um, I feel like, you know, when Taj has done best, it's like he's coming from that area. Whereas you have other people that are just grinders and you, you know, you have to just get out of the way because you know they're gonna march through the field for the entire eight months. Whereas Taj sort of chose his moments, you know, and, and, and that's sort of what his career was, was up and down, but man, he was pretty consistent. He was extremely consistent. He was in the top 10 15 times throughout his career. Uh, he got runner up a couple of times. And look, it wasn't like he, he couldn't compete. It was just sometimes I felt like he, he veered off. Um, people compete different ways. You know, you have a look at one of my best friends with Parko, we competed totally different. When Parko was smiling, that's when he was on. I couldn't smile, I just had to stay focused and that's why I look blank faced all the time. Taj was exactly like Parko. If he was smiling and he was relaxed, watch out, he was gonna take out the field and win the event. Um, so, and then as soon as you saw a stressful look on Taj's face, it was like, you've got him. And, and mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's where the uncomfortableness was for Taj. I feel like there's definitely certain waves where Taj knew he was one of the favorites. Um, and whenever I close my eyes and think of Taj Burrow, I just think of that patented classic Taj Burrow thinner, you know, that amazing, uh, tail side that, that he was so good at um, and really sort of changed surfing. Do you think, Mick, I wanted to ask you this because you, you know, competed so much with him. Was he uh, overly amped on being progressive in surfing and maybe that cost a few heats here and there? No, I don't think so. I, you know, he, he would grind out a heat. I think it was just he didn't like grinding out a heat. He wanted to go out and put the highlight reel. I think when Taj was on, he would do that progressive surfing and nail it. And that's how he'd go on and win the heats. So yeah, look, I think the progressive side of it didn't really cost him heats. He, he would pick his moments to be pro progressive. I just think sometimes he, yeah, just was a little uncomfortable and didn't like it. Do you think Taj would trade one of his video parts for a world title? Probably. <laughs> 100%. But, but look, I, I think, I think that the movies like Sabotage, Montage, you know, he was the talk of the town in, in those mm -hmm. movies. So it was like, well, they were pretty much his world titles. Well, one way or another, he was everyone's favorite surfer for a number of years there. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of Getting Heated. Next week, we'll have a very special guest joining us. It's kind of a surprise, but Ross and Mick, can you each give us at least one hint on who this guest is? Oh. Let's go searching. <laughs> I'll say uh, tight shorts at Huntington and skimboards. That was too blatant. Sorry. <laughs> Threw him under the bus there. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll look forward to it and we'll see everybody next time. Thanks, guys.